It's 4.32. Welcome back into the program. This is game time here on ESPN Central Texas from the Allen Samuel Studios. Tom Barfield, Ward White, and Aaron Sexton. We're glad you're with us. And uh, we are joined now by Shihan Giaraja from Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. Shihan, good afternoon, and we appreciate you being with us today, man. Yeah, thank you as always for having me. Let's uh, let's dive into this thing. I, I want to get your, your thoughts on, on yesterday and, uh, and you know, especially – a, you're a member of the media, and B, you're you're a Baylor grad. What what was what was your overall take on yesterday? First, the the announcement, and then what you heard from Dr. Livingstone and what you heard from Mac Rhodes. Sure. Well, I think the first thing that I'll say about the NCAA report is that I do want to take a step back and and remember that you know the NCAA, for lack of a better phrase, is sports court. Right? They deal with very specific things. They deal with financial stuff. They deal with recruiting stuff. And honestly, they're not an organization that kind of uh, is built to deal with the kind of things that happened at Baylor University. You know, that's that's kind of in a lot of ways for a higher body. It is for the government. It's for the Department of Education. Uh, and it's obviously for law enforcement and the legal courts, right? So from that perspective, I wasn't especially surprised. I kind of thought that this might be the result that uh, that kind of the NCAA would say, we can't really do anything about this because back when the whole Penn State situation happened about a decade ago, that's kind of what they, the, the result that it ended up being. They put out some harsh penalties to start with, and a lot of them were ultimately overturned because they kind of realized that it was outside of their purview. And so I do think that from a football perspective, from an athletics perspective, this is a decision that I, I don't want to use the phrase makes sense, but I do think that this is consistent with what the NCAA has set forth. Uh, you know, I, I do think that as somebody who you mentioned went to Baylor, was at Baylor during this time period, it's it's a, a difficult thing to have this brought up again, Just beca- not because it shouldn't be brought up, it should, but just to remember kind of the failures that happened while you were a student there, while you were paying tuition there, uh, and, and obviously while you were a media member there as well. So uh, I think that definitely when this came out and, and when it was kind of this decision, my thoughts did go to the victims and uh, and the survivors, rather, and and you know I hope that they find peace in this time, and I and I hope that uh, that they f- have ways to get accountability through, like I mentioned, the legal system through the Department of Education, and obviously also through Baylor being accountable and, and continuing to move forward, which I believe that they are trying to do. It uh, and we were talking about this yesterday. It, it, to me, you almost have to. To look at it in in two different ways, you had the the incidents and and you had the the victims and and you feel for them. But on the other side, you have to move forward. And in this football team this year, this group, I think they get some closure and they get to move forward. And, and I know it's kind of it feels weird to talk in those terms and it's kind of uncomfortable, if you will. But I think that's your only choice. You have to move forward. Right, and that's the thing is that when you have these kind of very punishments that deal specifically with, you know, let's say scholarship reductions or bowl bans, right? You're you're punishing people at Baylor who weren't necessarily responsible for it. Now, again, Baylor as the institution has to recommend its own way for that, but there's no reason in my estimation that it should have to be these players who necessarily are the people who who suffer for it. And the people who are up there having to be accountable and answer all the tough questions yesterday were Mac Rhodes and Linda Livingstone, not uh, obviously, the former staff who was there, who this stuff happened under. So I do think that you're right. Uh, you know, I, I think that 
for people in the athletic department. It's a way to start to move forward in, it, in their own way. Uh, for, for football players, for athletes on campus, it is a way to start to move forward a little bit. Um, again, you're never going to be able to erase what happened, and nor should you, but I think that you're right. This does give at least a little bit of closure as Baylor tries to move forward. Do you think that there's any way that Baylor tries to dispute this or appeals this in any way, or are they just going to be happy with the outcome and move forward from there and try to put this behind them as quickly as they can? Yeah, well, that was something that Matt Roach talked about very openly. He does not anticipate that they're going to dispute anything in the reports. Uh, The other thing, too, is that they did not dispute the the facts that were presented in the report. They said, you know, if this is what the NCAA has come up with, we we agree with them, we believe what they've said. Uh, And so from that perspective, I think that that's the way that Baylor's tried to approach this is, you know, what what people say happened, happened here. And and what, you know, the Pepper Hamilton said happened and what uh, the NCAA said that happened. And and even in many cases, what lawsuits say have happened, like, we, we believe you, and, and we're going to try to move forward with this information. And so from that perspective, because there really was no dispute from uh, Baylor's athletic department or from Baylor University, I do expect that they are going to kind of just take this and move on. Talking with Shihan J. Araja from Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. We, we were looking at, and let's go to the let's go to some football on the field and, and, and some fun stuff here. We were talking yesterday, and we were looking at the the poll, the top ten, the actually the top twenty five, but we were kind of focusing in on the top ten. And imagine it's Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. So I guess the uh, the playoff for in, in January or late December set, isn't it? right no i mean those are the four teams that you always kind of have to start with and for me you know what's funny is i i understand why alabama uh in in the coaches poll got 63 of 65 first place votes to me though at the same time we have to look at kind of history like yes alabama has a history of winning national titles i i understand just in general putting the defending champion as number one i think that there's nothing wrong with doing that but this is a team that lost basically every major playmaker on the offensive side of the ball and a number of them on defense as well. And the other thing that you mentioned in with that is that uh, for Alabama, that they've never won back-to-back titles in the college football playoff era. You know, it's really, really hard to do. And so I am very curious. I, I think that if you asked me, would you take Alabama or the field to win the next national title? I, I, I think I would take the field. And, and I think that you look at a situation like Georgia, Georgia sends a lot back, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you look at a team like Oklahoma, who certainly hasn't won a playoff game as yet, but they, I think, have their best team maybe in 15 years uh, at Oklahoma. You look at Clemson, who has a little bit more proven of a quarterback. And so there's going to be a lot of competition. But this is this is talking season, right? That's why this is fun. In the middle of the Big 12, is that bunched up as much as we think it is? Is there a lot of parity this year with the Big 12. You take Oklahoma and, and maybe Iowa State and put them, and then everybody else is is making a run, and, and depending on how their schedule falls, has a shot at getting to the playoff, uh, to the Big 12 championship game? Almost definitely. I mean, I think that between three and nine, you could almost give me any order, and it wouldn't really surprise me all that much. I do think that Oklahoma and Iowa State are the presumptive number one and number two as we head into the season, but Nobody else is especially proven. I mean, I think for us, we've had TCU as a team that potentially could rise up, but that's projection. You have a team like Texas, who was, I believe, third last year, but they have a brand-new coaching staff. They lost a lot of their best players on both sides of the ball. They're, they're by no means a sure shot. 
Uh, Oklahoma State's a team that you always kind of trust, but they haven't been in that top three for a little while at this point. Uh, and then I think even go to the sort of, I guess, the bottom half where Kansas State has been a team that's competed with Oklahoma in those moments. West Virginia has been a team uh, that, that had one of the great defenses in the Big 12 last year. And I even think if, if you're a team like Baylor or Texas Tech, there's a lot of upside there if some things break your way. So, yeah, I mean, again, you put Oklahoma at one, you put Kansas at 10, and I think that you put Iowa State probably at two, and anything else in the middle, I think it really could go any way. You know what? And I think that's kind of cool. I'm excited because of the of just what you said. I think this is going to be a fun, wide-open season. Yeah, and no question about it. And I think that there's going to be some opportunities for upset wins. I think there's going to be opportunities for teams to go in and, and you know, beat teams on their home field. I, I mean, it's and the other thing, too, is that even though we have so much production coming back for every team because of the Super Senior Rule especially, I think that there's also just, like, very clear things that could potentially elevate a lot of teams. Because, like, obviously for Baylor, if you get that offensive line and that quarterback situation going, obviously we know that they have the receivers in Arkansas and Taekwon Thornton to be really good. And at Texas Tech, if Tyler sucks that guy at quarterback, all of a sudden, you know, they go from maybe being a, a three- or four-win team to being a seven- or eight-win team. And same with Kansas State at quarterback, uh, same with Oklahoma State, you know, maybe with offensive line and a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. Like, th- there's a clear thing that you can point to that's realistic, I think, uh, for a way to uh, for a team to maximize their potential. So a lot of things can happen. All right, so I was on uh, on the website today, and I listened to your podcast today, and quite quite frankly, I'm disappointed. I didn't hear that the Big 12 was going to survive. I didn't hear Baylor's going to this comp. Come on, where, where, where's that information? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I think everybody's in a little bit of a holding pattern right now, right? Because, you know, there, there was all this talk right at the beginning that uh, that teams are going to try and scramble and try to figure out what their next step's going to be. But I do think one of the things that we're going to realize real quick is that I don't think that any of the other teams are necessarily a no-brainer for another conference. And so, yeah, maybe the Pac-12 suits in and decides to get into the state of Texas, but maybe they don't. It's not really based on the quality of the schools. It's just kind of more of a, a, a sort of a conference decision. You know, with the Big Ten, I, I don't know whether they're enamored with Kansas or Iowa State. You know, there's not just like kind of an obvious place for everybody to go. And so I think that we go back to kind of one of the things that I said a few weeks ago, that these eight teams are certainly a head and shoulders above the group of five. And, and so I'm curious if they do decide long-term that the best thing is to stick together. And the other part of that as well is that if they stick together, even for the short term, and, and we've talked about this at length, then Texas and Oklahoma potentially have to pay a lot of money to get out of their contracts. So at this point, it doesn't really surprise me that uh, that some of the rumors have started to dry up a bit. But uh, it does, like you said, it makes for a little less interesting talk. Hey, Sheehan, what are you what are you guys working on right now for Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine? Yeah, so we are finishing up our top 50 most important players in Texas. Uh, we dropped the, the fourth installment today. We dropped the fifth one tomorrow. Uh, and, and so, yeah, obviously a lot of Baylor players represented on that list of the top 50 most important players, mostly because there's a lot of guys, I think, who could make or break this Baylor offense and defense this upcoming year. So uh, that'll be finishing up tomorrow, uh, 50 most important players in Texas. And, and the podcast is certainly there, too. It's a, it's a great listen, by the way. Uh, terrific stuff. Uh, good, uh, enjoyed it this morning. I appreciate that. Yeah, so we put out a podcast every week. This is our Baylor and TCU preview edition, and we did also talk a little bit about that Baylor decision as well uh, from the NCAA. So a lot of Baylor content in, uh, in there in our most recent issue, TexasBall.com. Sheehan, we, uh, we appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, have a great day. That is a 